right, so this fine evening, uh, we will be uh, picking right back up in John chapter 13, uh, right where we left off last week. Um, so I'm thinking that this will, this will be uh, the last time that we're in John 13, we'll be able to move on to 14 the next time I'm able to speak, amen. Um, so we're going to be starting at verse 18 and working our way through verse, we'll work our way through verse 32. So we'll do John chapter 13, verse 18 through 32. Um, and just know we got we to gotta grip across references tonight. Isn't that right, Mr. Doug? Mr. Doug shaking his head. He knows what's up. We got the cross references tonight, so y'all know how I do. We'll be all over the place through the text, and then by the time we get done tonight, hopefully it all comes together. The Holy Spirit puts a bow on it. It makes sense. We can all say amen, and God does his work. Amen. So um, what I want to do is, is I'm just going to go ahead and read the text. We'll read through 18 verse 32, um, and then I want to go back through and we'll kind of just kind of highlight what we've kind of what we've gone over and then dive in what we want to hit tonight, okay? So in verse, starting at verse 18, um, and I've had some people ask me, I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, not that you have to, I'm just letting you know because some people have asked me. It's a little bit more on the formal equivalent side, uh, but not so much so that it's not understandable. Um, so starting at verse 18, it says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. This is Jesus. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that, or that he should go give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. That was a lot of glorifying going on right there. Praise God. Amen. All right, so that's, so that's, what's, that's, our, that's our core text that we're going to kind of be gleaning from tonight. So just to kind of give everybody a recap, uh, what we're, by the time we're right here in John chapter 13, we've already kind of gone over that Jesus is about 15 to 18 hours away from being going to the cross, right? So that's kind of the setting, the background that we have here. He's 15 to 18 hours 
of going about ready to go to the cross. Um, he's meeting with his disciples. They're in, they're in the room. They're reclining at table. They're about ready to have a feast together because it's the time to celebrate the Passover feast. Um, they're there together. We had, we had went through last week and saw that it was during this time that Jesus had institute, instituted the ordinance of communion or what we would call the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, that that's representative of him breaking his body on our behalf, taking of the fruit of the vine, the cup of the fruit of the vine, that's part indicative of, representative of us, part him shedding his blood on our behalf on the cross, right? So he did that. And so he had let his disciples know last week, he had told them, hey, the son of man, I'm going to suffer. And one of you is going to betray me. And it says that in the midst of him breaking the news to him that, they were, that he was going to suffer, that one of them was going to betray him, it says an argument broke out amongst the disciples about who was going to be the greatest. Like what a, what a time to stick your chest out. To say, I'm the man, right? So it says that they got into an argument amongst each other about who was going to be the greatest. And that's where we kind of pick up here in John chapter 13. It says it's in the midst of all of this that Jesus got up from the table He's supposed to be the one that's this, at the seat of honor because he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, he's the master. He should have the seat of honor. And it says that he got up from the table, took off his outer garment, tied a towel around his waist, and that he went around to every single disciple and washed their feet. And then after washing their feet, he got back, went back to the table, went back to reclining a table, and basically said, I've just given you an example, I've just given you a pattern because I'm the teacher, I'm the master. So if I'm teacher and I'm master, then you're the disciple. That means you're not above me. That means you're supposed to follow the example that I'm teaching you and giving you. So you are to go and likewise now go and serve, self-sacrificially serve one another just as I has just served you, right? And so that's kind of, that's kind of the background of what's going on here. Uh, for, for our text tonight. And so it picks up with, in, in verse 18, where Jesus is basically saying, hey, the one who I'm going to dip, he says, hey, one of y'all is going to betray me. The, the one who's going to betray me is the one I'm going to take this bread, dip it, give it to that person, and boom, they're going to go. And it says that Satan entered, that Satan entered into Judas. It says in verse 19, it says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Oh, sorry, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Praise God. But he's, for, he's already foretelling that this is going to happen before it happens. And so it's actually in verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. And so the part that I want to land on tonight, though, and really dive into is verse 31 and 32, where Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. <sighs> Let me take a deep breath. Praise God. Now is the Son of Man glorified. So how is the Son of Man glorified? It's not explicitly laid out in the text, but over the last couple of few weeks when we've gone through John chapter 10, we've gone through John chapter 11, we've gone through John chapter 12, we're in 13, he's been giving us, dropping us nuggets on how, he's how he will be glorified at this time, okay? And so, and so I kind of have two main points that I want to bring forth tonight on how Jesus is glorified during this time. 
And so the first, the first one that I want to kind of try to hopefully, by the Lord's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the first one that I want to kind of drill into is the providence of God. Jesus will be glorified through the providence of God. And so the providence of God means that, and it kind of goes along with concurrence, it's a doctrine that says that God is in control and yes, we have free will. Yes, we are responsible. We make decisions. We have our actions. We, make th- we have our thoughts. We do, we don't do, all of that good stuff. And guess what? God holds us responsible for our actions. He holds us accountable for the decisions that we make. Amen? But at the same time, providence would say that God is so big that even in the midst of us having our free will, even in the midst of us being able to make decisions, even in the midst of us with what we do and don't do and all of these different things, God is going to make sure that his plan and his purpose is fulfilled regardless. That's the providence of God and that's how big he is. And that's, what, that's one of the ways that Jesus is going to be glorified. Okay. So... Here's how I land on that. Because notice when it says, now is the Son of Man glorified, he had just spent the last 10 verses breaking down to us how he was going to be betrayed. He had just finished telling us that, hey, one of you, one of the 11 that's right here, one of the 12 that's right here with me at the table is going to betray me. They're like, who is he? He said, I'm going to dip the morsel of bread. I'm going to give it to the one. He's going to go out and betray me. And notice that it says in verse 30, it says, after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was night. And immediately after Judas going out is when Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. Praise God. Now that I've established that, now I want to go back through the book of John and we're just going to kind of highlight some of the some of uh, some of John's verbiage on how he on how he's parlayed to us what's been going on in Jesus's life, and I hope that by the time that I get done going through highlighting these different p- periods in Jesus's life leading up to John chapter 13, there's going to be certain key points throughout the throughout the Gospel of John where where he'll give us these indicators: not yet, not yet, not yet, now. Okay, so, so I, I know I'm being ambiguous, but we're going to get into it right now. See, even back at the beginning of John, y'all, y'all are familiar with John, that Jesus turns the water into wine, right? And so it says that in John chapter 2, it says that that's one of the very first miracles that John even refers to as one of the very first signs that Jesus does in order to show that he is the son of God, that he's doing that and he's performing that miracle of turning the water into wine to show that he is the son of God, that he's not just a mere human being. So in John chapter 2, verse 4, listen to what it says. His mom had come to him and said, Jesus, you need to help him. And this is what Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. My hour hasn't come yet. 
So keep that, keep that phrase in your remembrance, my hour has not come yet, right? So it's from that point forward that that kind of began Jesus' public ministry as far as him going out and teaching. That began his public ministry as far as performing miracles, doing signs and wonders, uh, rebuking Pharisees and religious leaders, all this good stuff. So just to kind of, just to kind of, I'm just going to kind of breeze through from 2 all the way to chapter 7. So at this point, Jesus has met with the woman at the well who is a scandalous Samaritan woman, this potentially adulteress, she gets saved. Praise God. So then an official comes to Jesus and says, hey, my son needs to get healed. Jesus goes to the official's house. Boom, heals the son. Praise God. Then, then there's a man who's paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus heals that man that's been paralyzed for 38 years. But when he healed him, it was on a Sabbath. And so the religious leaders said, hey, Jesus, that's cool that you healed this man. But... You healed on the Sabbath, so you just broke our tradition of how we define you just worked on the Sabbath. You broke the law, so you can't really be from God, even though you just healed this man on the Sabbath. And so they were mad at Jesus because of that. So then from that point, so then Jesus goes on and he teaches. And in that teaching, he makes himself equal with God. And so then at that point, now the religious leaders are really mad because now not only has he broken the Sabbath, how they've defined it, but now he's also taught that he's equal with God. And so now they're mad enough that they're trying to plot now that they want to arrest him because they're saying, you know what, we're going to need to get Jesus out of the way. Okay. So then from there, Jesus goes on to feed over 5,000 people with five loaves, two fish. Jesus walks on the water. And at this point, Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they want Jesus dead. And it says that at every point they're seeking to arrest him. So listen to John chapter 7, verse 30. It says, so they, the religious leaders, were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So you see a recurring pattern here? So in chapter 2, like, woman, what has that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Boom, doing all these great miracles. Religious leaders are trying to arrest him. They're trying to get him out of the way. So we need to, you need to arrest him. Can't lay a hand on him because his hour has not yet come. So then we move on from there. So, man, there, there's a woman that's caught in adultery. So they bring him to Jesus. The religious leaders bring him to Jesus. Say, Jesus, we need to stone this lady according to the law. So Jesus is like, hey, the first one without sin cast the first stone. Nobody's left except Jesus and the adulterous lady. And he's able to say, go, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Amen. But if I'm a religious leader, that would make me mad. Right. So they were upset about that. And again, in in chapter 8, John chapter 8, Jesus again teaches that I and the Father are one. And so they know that what Jesus is saying is when he's saying that they're one, he's saying, hey, me and the Father are equal. We are one in essence. We are one. We are together. Me and the Father are in this. We are one. And so they know that Jesus is basically saying, I am God. And with that, they're saying that he is definitely blaspheming. And it says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. 
So then we go on from there and Jesus heals a man born blind and gives him sight. But again, it was on the Sabbath. So he broke the religious leader's tradition. And so guess what? So now they're super upset. And so now they want to still arrest him even more now. Jesus goes on again and teaches and teaches again that him and the Father are one. Again revealing to them that he's God. And it says that at that time they even have picked up stones. They're not even trying to arrest him at this point. At that point that we get to John chapter 10. It says that they've already picked up stones and they're ready to start chunking them at him just right off top. And it tells us in John chapter 10, verse 39, it says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So it doesn't say it, but we can imply that Jesus was able to escape from their hands. Why? Because his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come, right? So then in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And at this point, the religious leaders are like, okay, he's raising people from the dead. He's got to go. So it's like we need to kill Jesus and we need to kill Lazarus because Lazarus being raised up from the dead, there's people that are leaving them and leaving from following them and following and believing Jesus because of the testimony of Lazarus. And so we see in John chapter 11, verse 53, it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. In John 11, verse 57, it says, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. But again, they didn't. Why? His hour had not yet come. Right? All righty. Praise God. So I hope you see that pattern established. But now, but we'll get to John chapter 12, verse 23. So in John chapter 12, we've just, again, we just saw, we've went through all of these miracles that Jesus has performed. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. So now it's getting time for the Passover feast, right? So it's time for the Passover feast. And so this is when we have what's called the triumphal entry. So Jesus is on the, seated on the donkey, right? And so it says that he comes into Jerusalem. He's seated on the donkey. They're laying palm branches down. Hosanna, Hosanna. God saves, God saves. They're cheering like, blessed be the one who come. You know what I'm saying? They're basically saying this is the king of Israel that's coming, that's entering into Jerusalem. God's, God save us, right? And so, and so then at that point that he's coming in like that, we get to John chapter 12, verse 23, and listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, okay, we're getting close now, right? See, so he hasn't started the Passover feast yet, but he's entering into Jerusalem for this particular Passover feast. And he just said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Right? Praise God. So then chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So we see that God has given all things into Jesus' hand. We've already established that Jesus 
Jesus is saying, now the time has come. We read through 18 through 30, verses 18 through 32, and we saw that verses 21 all the way down to verse 30 was pretty much them saying that, that Jesus, that Judas was, boom, he's going out to betray Jesus at that very moment. He's going to go to the religious leaders that have been seeking to arrest him, that want Jesus killed. He's going to go to them, betray Jesus to them for 30 pieces of silver. And it's at that point that Jesus didn't just say, now my hour has come. He says in verse 31, now is the son of man glorified. You see the progression there? So we've went from his hour has not yet come, hour not yet come. And during that whole time, he's just right out in the middle of everything, obeying the father, perfectly obeying the father's will. His hour has not yet come, hour not yet come. Chapter 12, now the hour has come. And so now Judas betraying, leaving out to betray him is, he's saying, now is the son of man glorified. And so... So here's a couple things that I want to point out, and that's why I felt bad that I went to chapter that I went to verse 19 when I first started because now is the time that I wanted to do that. Is in, cha- in verse chapter 13, verse 18 and 19. Listen to what Jesus says because this is pertaining to Judas betraying him. It says, "I am not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me." I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does does take place, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is even saying, he's letting his disciples know that I am about ready to be betrayed. Me being betrayed, Judas leaving out is actually the, the trigger for my time having come now. And not only that though, it's fulfillment of scripture. So when he quotes that about his heel being lifted up, that's actually a quote from Psalm, Psalm 41, verse 9, that says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, showing that nothing, nothing that's going on is outside of the providence of God. That even though, and, and this is the beauty of what he's doing, because from a, the human perspective, from our perspective, he's trying to encourage his disciples before he's about ready to go to the cross. Because he knows from the human perspective, it would seem like, Jesus, what is going on? You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm sitting at the table and Judas goes out and I find, and then Judas is my man. We've been, we've been road dogs for three years now. We've been ride or die for three years. We're all ten toes deep on Jesus. And now I find out that Judas is the one that led, that betrayed, that betrayed Jesus. And that that's what actually ends up him going on trial. And then the trial is what puts him before Pilate. And then Pilate ends him on the cross. If I'm the disciples, from a human perspective, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Whoa, I would be overwhelmed by that. So before any of it happens, Jesus is letting them know. He's telling them, before it even happens, I'm letting you know one of you is going to betray me. Guess what? It's the fulfillment of Psalm 41 verse 9. So God had already ordained that all of this was going to happen. 
And praise God, I'm letting you know, now the son, of, the son of man, the son of man is glorified. So that's why in verse 33, we didn't read that. But in verse 33, listen to what he says. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. So he's even letting them know. He says, little children, I'm trying to encourage you now by letting you know that even though you don't quite understand what's going on, even though you don't see what the big picture is, praise God, this is not outside of God's control. And I'm about ready to effect something greater than your mind can even fathom. So let's walk through this. And in the midst of as we walk through this, I will be glorified. God will be glorified. And guess what? It'll ultimately be for your good. Does that, does that make sense? Do we, can y'all see the progression there? Amen. Oh, man, praise God. All right, so, here, so, now, so now I'm getting really excited now, okay? All right, I'm getting really excited now. So he says, now the Son of Man has been glorified. But he doesn't say how the Son of Man is being glorified. That's why I read, that's why I read 12, 23, and 24, because it's there that he tells us how he's going to be glorified. Because in verse 20, chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then in verse 32, Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So in verses 13, 31, when he says, now the Son of Man will be glorified, he's already let us know from chapter 12 that him being glorified and the Father being glorified in him is him going to the cross. And it's going to be his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Here, here's why I'm excited, though. All right. All right. All right, I'm so excited. I got to reel it back in, Brother John. I got to reel it back in. All right, so we saw that Jesus, right? So, so what did Jesus say that was fulfillment from Psalm 41.9, right? He said, the one that betrayed, there's going to be one that betrays me. And what was the exact text? It said, the one who broke bread with me, the one that ate my bread, his heel will be raised against me, right? His heel is against me. That's what it said, right? So, so, so that's an idiom during that time. His heel being against me is an idiom for being betrayed or being turned against, right? But I want to take it one step deeper than that. And if you've been coming to Bible study on, on Thursday, you know that I've done beat this, beat this, to, beat this to the ground. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and were put out of the garden... Who was it that tempted them? It was the serpent, right? The serpent came to, came to tempt and came to deceive. It says that Eve was deceived. She, she gave to Adam. Their eyes were open. Boom, they were kicked out of the garden, right? So what was, what was the punishment that was given to the serpent? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me cross-reference to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Listen to what it says. This is one of the curses that came on the serpent. 
It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You catch that? So the serpent, and who's the one that entered into Jesus to... Who's the one that entered into Judas to incite him to betray Jesus? Y'all, do you you see it here? Like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited I can't even say it. Praise God. We see this, this, this big cosmic battle between God and Satan in which Satan thinks that he has the upper hand over God. And that, hey, you know what, I've got my plan that I'm going to make sure that I'm going to get this cat Judas to betray Jesus. And he's going to set in motion Jesus getting nailed to the cross. But all along, we know that that's actually, also I'm going to turn, raise my heel up against, I'm going to raise my heel up against Jesus. Praise God. But what is that? That's the fulfillment of the serpent trying to bruise the heel of Jesus. But praise God, God has already let the serpent know. He's already let Satan know, but he's stupid because God is smarter than him. Amen. (laughs) Praise God that, that you may bruise his heel, but his heel is going to crush your head. So praise God. So Satan is the one inciting, inciting Judas to betray Jesus to set all of this course of events into motion for Jesus to end up on the cross. But in God's providence, he is going to glorify God and God is going to be glorified in him because they know, even though Satan don't, that by him going to the cross, he, that's him actually going to be crushing the head of the serpent and that he's going to fulfill the promise that's going to accomplish our salvation and is what's going to ultimately end up causing Satan to be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Amen. Amen. I hope that got y'all as excited as it did me. All right, praise God. Here's, all right, so I'm I'm sticking with John. I got cross references, but I'm sticking with John, okay? Because from our perspective, from the human perspective, what does it look like? From the human perspective, Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus gets arrested, goes before, has a mock trial. They set all that up with the religious leaders. Goes before Pilate. Pilate says, you're going to the, you're being crucified. And it happens. So from, the, so from the human eye, so from our perspective, all of these people was doing all of this stuff to jack Jesus' stuff up. That's what it looks like, right? Let's look at it from God's perspective. Let's look at it from Jesus' perspective. John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, this is what Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have abundantly. Well, how is that going to happen, Jesus? Because I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is saying, you are not taking my life, I willingly lay it down. Okay. 
John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me, this is Jesus, because I lay down my life that I might take, may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he walks by John the Baptist, the testimony of John the Baptist is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So from our perspective, Judas betrayed, Jesus went on trial, went to Pilate, was sentenced to be crucified, nailed to the cross. Oh my gosh, what just happened? From God's perspective, this is my plan that I set in motion from eternity past. Gave you a heads up that it was going to happen even starting in Genesis chapter 3 when you first sinned. Gave you a sign of what it was going to look like. The serpent would bruise your heel, but he would crush the serpent's head, right? So I've already set this in motion. And even though from your perspective it looks like Jesus is being nailed to the cross, in actuality what's happening is, is Jesus is God the Son who left heaven, came down to earth, lived a sinless perfect life. So before the Father, he is our great high priest who is the only one that is qualified to offer the one and only sacrifice that's needed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. And oh yeah, by the way, not only is he qualified as the great high priest. It also says that he is the blemish, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus says, I as the great high priest willingly lay myself down and I'm willingly allowing myself to be nailed to the cross. And that's me as the great high priest offering that lamb. And oh yeah, by the way, I'm the one going to the cross because I'm the only one qualified to be the lamb that can satisfy God's wrath and forgive you of your sins once and for all. And so, so that's what's all wrapped up in 1331 when Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Because Judas going out and setting up that betrayal is going to set off the whole chain of events that's going to do what? Put Jesus on the cross. Wow, right? So even though it looks like man and people is getting in the way of God's plan, God is so big that even in the midst of and in spite of, God is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He's going to accomplish his purposes, right? And so, so in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, I just got to read this because I'm so excited about it. Peter, Peter preaches these words. He says, men of Israel, first, one of the first sermons preached in the New Testament after, after Jesus has ascended to heaven. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
So you see that? There's still the responsibility of men. He says, you had him crucified. Guilty. But guess what? It was God's definite plan. It was God's predetermined plan that he was going to that cross because he's going to affect what I want him to affect regardless of what you do. Right? Big picture. Praise God. So I hope you can see the bigness of God and Jesus being glorified in the providence of God and him fulfilling his plan, even in the midst of us having our free will, responsibility, choices, all of that good stuff. The other, the other piece that I, wanted to, that I wanted to shine a light on, because we talked about Jesus going to the cross and that being the glory of God. Here's the best, one of the best definitions of the glory of God that I've ever heard, that I've ever come across. It says, the glory of God is the visible manifestation of God's excellent character. The glory of God is the visible manifestation of God's excellent character. And it makes sense why Jesus would say that the hour has come to glorify the Father and then allude to his death on the cross, resurrection, and then glorification. Because it is at the cross that we see most clearly and learn more about God's excellence than in any other moment in history. In the death of Jesus, we see God's holiness and love. We see his righteousness and mercy. We see his justice and grace. We see his sovereignty and humility. We see his wisdom and patience. Because think about it. God is a just God, right? So for a judge to truly be just, if a judge is going to, to truly be considered just, he has to administer justice, correct? So I can't as a judge arbitrarily just say not guilty even though I know that you're guilty because if I'm just, a price has to be paid. There has to be a consequence for the crime that was committed. Correct? So God in his justice, he can't just say, you're forgiven. Because he wouldn't be just anymore. Right? God in his holiness, what does holiness mean? That means that he is completely set apart from us. God is perfect. God doesn't just set the standard. He is the standard. Right? And so that's why in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, because we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what is the wages of sin? Death. And death is not just physical death, it's spiritual death. Because we have fallen short of the glory of God, we are under his wrath. Well, why are we under his wrath? Because he's holy and we're not. Because his actions are righteous and ours aren't. Because he's just and we try to get over and hustle, right? See, he's all of these things, but praise God, it's at the cross that, his, that we see all of these things being balanced out because God in his justice says, you are guilty and you're under my wrath. But in his mercy and in his love, Jesus, God the Son, was nailed to the cross so that the Father looks at Jesus and says, you know what, because Jesus was willing to pay that price, my righteousness, my justice is satisfied 
on the price that Jesus paid by being nailed to the cross. So that's how whoever calls on the name of Jesus, whoever repents, turns, believes, and trusts themselves to God through Jesus, praise God, the righteousness of Jesus is then credited to us because God's justice was satisfied on Jesus on the cross. And so that's how we're able to, if we're in Christ, receive his mercy so that he can forgive us because God has still fulfilled his justice because he put it on Jesus. But praise God, because of Jesus, he can show us mercy and grace. So praise God, if we go before the judgment seat of God, praise God, we go before his judgment seat. And if we're in Christ, because of Jesus, he's put on us a robe of righteousness. So we go before the Father, we go before God in his judgment seat on that day, and he's going to see us. And even though we know that we're sinful, he's going to see the robe of righteousness that Jesus has put on us and not our sin. And that's how he can say, you know what, because of Jesus, that's credited to you, you're mine and you're with me.